we have part two of a series on Jesus. And everybody's favorite preacher, my dad, hustle on up here. Share the word. Thank you. Oh, what a good time so far today. Faithful in Christ Jesus, righteous of five ones, holy and blameless in his sight. Wow. So I, here's something I came across that I liked. My son, this person writes, loves it that we named our children after Star Wars characters. Our daughter Chewbacca, not so much. <laughs> Jesus. Anthony, thanks for preaching so well last, last weekend on the subject of God's goodness. And really, I think that that goes along so well with the message of uh, Jesus that we started talking about, gave the introduction to it last uh, two weeks ago. That Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are lifting up the name of Jesus. Jesus said, if I li- be lifted up, I'll draw all, all men to myself, all people to myself. Of course, meant first and foremost, if he's lifted up on the cross, that's the context. But in a secondary way, he means if he's lifted, his name is lifted up. And there's a drawing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's an irresistible drawing to those who, who come to, uh, to Christ, experience Christ. It's surround sound 4.0. If you think of Matthew here in this corner saying, he is the full fulfillment of every Old Testament prophetic expectation, Jesus, the person. We have Mark over here saying, he did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so is his, his church called to serve and experience his glory and his presence in Holy Spirit anointed and guided service. We have Luke, the doctor, saying Pentecost experience is not just for people that live on the other side of the tracks as happened after the Azusa Street outpouring for decades and decades. Pentecostal experience was, was relegated to the fringe and saying it's just for poor people that aren't educated. Luke comes on the scene right from the get-go, as the one that is the most educated. The highest form of Greek in Luke and in Acts. World traveler, the only one that refers to the Sea of Galilee as just a lake because he's seen the Mediterranean. He comes on the scene and he says, what I care about as an upper-class person I am saying that the Holy Spirit is not just for the down and outers, but for the up and outers. I am saying that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on all flesh and that your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
I'm saying that the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on Jesus without measure is being poured out on everyone who is able to receive in childlike faith, not just when you get saved in theological form, not just in an initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, your own Acts 2 moment, but as an outpouring river continually being flowing from the heaven realm to you. The same Holy Spirit. This, it is before the throne room of God as depicted in the book of Revelation. He's before the throne of God. And the one who fills the whole universe. There's life out there. And who the universe is in. The same Holy Spirit is with you and he's in you and flooding out of you and being poured out on you. And the only thing that inhibits a full-on experience of the Holy Ghost continually is, is our lack of faith. That's Luke. And John over here saying, I am smitten by his love. I can't get over it. I've been knocked flat. I, I don't even have an identity as an apostle anymore. I'm just the one that Jesus loves. And eternal life in John's gospel is not so much everlasting life in terms of sequential time ongoingly. Eternal life is now a quality of person and intimacy. Everyone gets to lean against the chest of Jesus and hear his heartbeat as John did at the Last Supper. Everybody is invited to that. Everybody is invited through faith to respond to the one knocking on the door of our hearts. Knocking on the door, inviting us to open the door and allowing him to come in and have fellowship with us, intimate fellowship with us and, and us with him. Everyone is called to eternity in Abraham's bosom. The prophetic picture of heaven where Abraham is God the Father. And the overwhelming experience of Ron Huckel when he hit heaven was the love of dad, the father, and being up against his bosom in intimate and infinite affection. I tell you, folks, that, 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 that right there ought to make us tear up a bit. It will in glory then Jesus will come over and wipe wipe away every tear and then give you all a group hug. I want to tell you, your future is way better than you think. That's the 4.0 surround sound that together makes a harmonious call to a person. God calls us through the four Gospels, in harmony, saying, how can you resist? And we say, we can't. Here we are. Here we come. 
So, in the next few messages that I, uh, that I teach, I want to not mute, but turn down three of the three of the gospel messages, messengers, and focus on one at a time. I want to focus today on Matthew's call because it's a great sound. And one of the things that I mentioned last time is that we mustn't think of the Gospels and Matthew's Gospel as just um, Jesus told him to write it down, so he did. But to think it more in terms of God forming a person, working all things after the counsel of his will in Matthew's life from the day he was born and named Matthew, gift of God, to his rebellion against God's people and becoming an IRS worker. <laughs> and, and finding Jesus, responding to Jesus, and having his world rocked. And in his own personality, his own calling, getting special joy and peace and love and excitement and passion from realizing that Jesus is the fulfillment of every Old Testament expectation. And this is so meaningful to him personally. And to realize that it's not just a sort of an apathetic, boy, I better write this down, but rather to recognize that Matthew and all the other Gospels, that these writers are not, are not just writers, they're heralds. They're passionate. They're, they're crazy in love. You know, Brenda whispered to me, what was the word you used? Huh? Scarismatics. So these people are char- as charismatics. I said, no, it's great. <laughs> that Matthew and, and the other and all the disciples, that they're on fire. They're, it's not just about the, them being writers of the gospels. They're gospelers. Gospel in the Anglo-Saxon, it's an Anglo-Saxon word from the 10th century, which means God's story or good story. And it's not passive and apathetic. It's heralding. And the net result, because God is putting all the authority of heaven behind their preaching in in the Gospels, that it's not just the voice of passionate people, it's the voice of a passionate God. It's God preaching, saying, Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. My son is being displayed. What will you do with him? Here's my first point about Matthew. And I only have one point, so relax. (laughs) Matthew the gospeler is possessed with passion for Jesus as revealed by the scriptures and by the blessing of the Father. You know the early church put Matthew first in the Bible? I mean in the New Testament for a reason. 
is because he was so obsessed with the, the Old Testament scripture being fulfilled in Jesus that they, they thought that this would be a good bridge into New Test- Covenant theology of the New Testament. They, so they put him first. Mark was actually written first. But they put Matthew first because he's the bridge. Saying God's people all the way from Adam and Eve all the way through the Old Testament. God's people, God's chosen people have now found their Messiah. The long looked for Christ. You know, one of my great joys has been discovering that some of my closest high school friends came to Christ later on in their lives. I came to Christ when I was 16, right before my junior year in high school, and I had to get a whole new set of friends. And I, I grieved the loss of my, my friends from junior high and high school. I missed, and I felt God's heart sadness for their not turning. And one of the great uh, delights of reconnecting with Facebook is that how many of my friends that I had been grieving over and had prayed for have come to Christ. And they've discovered what I discovered at the age of 16. And that makes me So strengthened in my own excitement and joy. Have you ever had that experience? I think we have an experience every time we have the church gathered. It's like what we walk walk and delight in in Jesus individually is amplified exponentially in our time together praising him and delighting in him. Somebody say hooray. Yeah, that's good. Now the rest of you say hooray. So, Matthew feels this way about all of his apostle friends, but he highlights Peter in this verse. Here's our text, Matthew 16, verse 16. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Jesus has just asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they respond, some say Elisha, Elijah, some say Jeremiah the prophet. And he says, okay, now what do you, who do you say that, say that I am? And this is what Simon Peter answered. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, Petros, which means a rock in Greek. Your name is now Rocky. (laughs) You're Peter. And on on this rock I will build my church. Now that happens in Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon starts the church. 3,000 people born from above. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And Matthew 
is focusing his ministry after the resurrection in Jerusalem. And he, he suffers the great grief of the rejection, largely the rejection of the Jewish people, of Jesus the Christ. And the, he witnesses firsthand the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that not one stone will be left on another when Rome defeats uh, Jerusalem exactly 40 years after the crucifixion and death and the, and the resurrection of Jesus. 40 years, Bible number, Jerusalem falls. Matthew witnesses all that. And yet he can say, as the Christians have been pulled out of Jerusalem just in time, and as all over the world persecution is increasing, Matthew can say and remind his church, remind the people of God as he writes this letter, and to remind the church down through the ages, and remind the church in the political and military chaos in the world in our day, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. You're in a different kingdom. You're in a parallel universe called heaven. You're living from heaven to earth. Your greatest reality is the spiritual realm. You're citizens of a greater land, as great as America is. You're citizens of an even greater land, kingdom of heaven. You're the Christ. I'm going to focus on that just for a minute. It was a minimal revelation for Peter at this point. He saw it almost entirely in terms of military defeat of the Romans, political restoration of the Davidic kingdom, the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abraham about the people of God in this realm, in this physical world, not spiritual, but physical. The hated Romans will be taken out and the promise to David that you'll always have a son on the throne will be fulfilled in this life. That's how he sees it. But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the revelation. Peter came to understand over the course of some time that it's a spiritual kingdom. It's better than you thought it was, Peter. There's something better than physical, that, than military and political victory. You personally are blood-bought into eternal life. The chosen people that started with God 
calling Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldeans to a, the land of Canaan, promising him that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. That promise that 500 years later, Moses, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, tells the people of God, the chosen people, He says, God chose you. You're the elect. Not because you were a people that was, is greater than any other people. He chose you for one reason and one reason only. He chose you because he loved you. And, and by saying he chose you not because of your, you being a greater people, that, is, that means there's nothing you can do to warrant being chosen. Nothing. I like how John put, Sot puts it. We can put that up there. He chose you. And he chose you because he loved you. And he loved you because he loved you. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. And Peter, uh, so Peter came to understand that that promise that God gave to Abraham, the promise that was reaffirmed by Moses and to David, that you'll always have a son on the throne. Peter came to understand the Christ, which is Greek for Messiah. You're the Christ. Is way better than what he thought. But it's a spiritual, blood-bought forgiveness that will last forever in intimacy with God. And that it would include a chosenness that is way beyond Israel and the Jews. In Jesus, everyone who believes in Jesus is an inheritor of the promise. All the promises of the Old Testament are ours because he has created a new people from Jews and Gentiles. It's way better than you think. And I want to tell you, my friends, today, it's still way better than you think. Whatever picture you have of glory, of the kingdom, of your future, of the church's future, whatever experiences that you've had in God, in his glory, his pleasantness, his wonder, his love, whatever manifestations that are hints of his beauty. Just the tip of the iceberg. Just an appetizer. It's way better than you think. Way, 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 way better. Matthew gets excited about Peter's Revelation, because he had, a, had the same revelation. Matthew, 12 times, not by accident, the number 12, the number of 
perfection and completion. Twelve times he refers to, with regard to Jesus, because it is written, because it is written, because it is written, because it is written. And even in, in uh, Matthew chapter 1, with reference to, there's 14 generations between Abraham and, and uh, Moses, between Moses and the Babylon captivity, and Babylon captivity into Jesus. When you actually look at the names, he skips some people when he says son of. 14 is the number. You know, every letter has a number and every name has a number in in Greek. 14 is the number for David. What Matthew is saying by saying the number 14 is this is David's promise coming forth. So next time you read that, Matthew 1, don't just say, oh, this is boring. Let's get through this. <laughs> this is Matthew shouting, Jesus is the promised lineage of David coming forth as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So Matthew's... De- Matthew delighted in Peter's growing revelation of Christ. It's a spiritual, it's apocalyptic, it's about heaven, and it's globally inclusive. And this is a great quote by me coming up. In Jesus, can we put that one up? In Jesus, the chosen people from every... In Jesus, the chosen people from every ethnicity are fully, happily, and gloriously privileged. No white privilege, no black privilege. There's no race at at all. It's all the human race. That's how it ought to be now. We shouldn't even be thinking in terms of races. We think in terms of we're all sons and daughters of sons of Adam and daughters of Eve that need to be redeemed. And as blood-bought ones, we're all relating to Jesus. And we know each other after the spirit, not after the flesh at all. Whenever, any, any time, any government thing asks me what race I am, I say, I, just re- I resent the question and skip it. I chose you because I love you, and I love you because I love you. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Matthew delighted in Peter's growing blessing in Christ. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. You know, it's dynamite for you when you read the Bible and God gives you revelation. Without the Without God's revelation, it would still be good. But with God's revelation, it's dynamite. It's powerful. And I mentioned to you last time I talked on the subject that 
at first, I, when I first came to Christ, I said, oh, I don't, I don't read, need to read the Bible. I already read it. But then when I began to taste it again, I couldn't put it down. Some of my friends in high school and I even decided we'd have an all-night Bible reading time in the catacombs. That are, we call it the catacombs, the basement of our little church. And a dozen of us there in can, candlelight and black light read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John as a marathon over eight hours all through the night one night. And, uh, and had breakfast together afterwards and all went home and took a long nap. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I appreciate Orville Lee this year because, you know, teenagers shouldn't spend all, a whole night together. But he's like 60-some years old and he didn't, rebuke us or I just told him what we we're going to do and he said I'm coming <laughs> he, was, he, he was there through the whole experience God bless him I appreciate him more now than I ever did then this is reinforced by, G, by Jesus Christ in Matthew 10 verse 40 he who receives you guys receives me to the apostles so if you're receiving the testimony of the apostles you're receiving the presence and person of Jesus writing on their words. In 1 John 4, verse 6, it's reinforced and echoed once again when John writes, watch this carefully and look at this carefully. He who knows God hears us, the apostles. He who knows God hears us, the apostles who wrote the Bible. He... He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. If you are really born from above, you will love the teaching of the apostolic witness in the New Testament. You won't be among those that pick and choose. You'll get after it all. It will be an experience like the Columbia River. We visited the headwaters of the Columbia River when we were went up to preach in, in uh, Blaine, Alberta one day. Actually, it took several days to get there. <laughs> Family of four in a 1982 Ford club wagon. Unforgettable. <laughs> we saw the headwaters of the Columbia River, just this, like this, about the size of the Rogue River. You would never know it would turn into the massive river that became. I have a love affair with the Columbia River. My uncle Leonard, when I was age five or six, took us on a motorboat in the Columbia River. Washougal. We went to Beacon Rock quite a bit every year. There were several tunnels going up to see my cousins in Trout Lake, Washington, their dairy farm up there. We could go through and the river would always be there on the right. When we lived in Astoria, I... Uh, enjoyed charter fishing. I had a friend that was a, had a charter business, and if there was ever an empty spot, he'd call me and I'd, hey, you want to go? I'd say, almost always, yeah, I'll, I'll fix my schedule. We'll do that wedding some other time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's a, do we have a picture of the Columbia River? We, we already put that up. Always oh, one step ahead of me. But you know, the Columbia River could be kind of smelly. 
And even though, like the Columbia River building as it progressed, we have a building delight in the scripture, the Clum- the, just like the Columbia River has a way of washing away death, and, and there's some remnants of it along the beach, beaches. The word of God will challenge us at points to annoy us, and we wish it wouldn't challenge us. And like Wes Lancaster told me when I was about 18 years old, he said, Dan, if you're the only one that follows Jesus, you make sure you follow him. There are some things in the teachings of Jesus that the culture hates, but we must, we must not go along with the culture. We must go along with Jesus. For instance, I'm just going to pick one, but there's many. And I'm going to do this as quickly as possible. I know some of you are done. Matthew 19, verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Culture hates that verse. God created people male and female biologically. And God said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That means sex. Sex is only for marriage between heterosexual, one man, and one woman. That's reality. The culture says it's better. And women, you don't have to listen to this. I won't talk to guys for a second. Guys, the culture says it's better to have a concubine than a wife. You get to have sex with her, but there's no commitment necessary for life. The culture says that's better, and, the, and women have been deceived into thinking it's, it's also a better relationship. And it's not God's way. One woman, one man. Same-sex marriage is a deception. Um, same-sex attraction is not a sin. It's not a sin to have a temptation. It is a sin to act on it. Here's another truth. Sex is not a need. It's an appetite. Jesus didn't have sex, and neither did the Apostle Paul. It's a deception to think that you have to have some sexual expression. If you're having sex with random people or girlfriend for a time, whatever, You're doing two things. You're calling her a concubine, and she's worth more than that. She's worth being married to. And you're also, if you're not going to be married to her, you're stealing from her future husband. Something that only belongs to him. My friends, this is just one example. There's many more, but I quit with that. Let's stand. I feel to do this. This is going to take a moment. If you just please close your eyes. One of the things Jesus Christ said through his word, and God gives revelation, 
with the word, it's dynamite. Some of you are having a, a, a wonderful God explosion right now. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and have fellowship with him and he with me. Some of you have been shoving money under the door, praying prayers through the keyhole. He wants the door opened. This is your day. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm looking at the right. I'm not going to call you forward. This is between you and Jesus. I want you to look up at me if you are opening the door. Thank you. Anyone else on my right side? Thank you. Anyone else on my right side? Two so far, looking at my middle right. Catch my eye. If, you don't, if I don't catch your eye, raise your hand. Looking in the middle. Thank you. Three so far. Anyone else? Three so far. My middle left side. Catch my eye. Thank you. Thank you. I will misunderstand. Thank you. I will misunderstand if you're looking at me for any other reason. We have six people so far that are responding, saying they're opening their hearts to Jesus right now. The word and the revelation of the Father, no less than Peter, are hitting you right now. About six people so far. Looking at my far left. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Seven people. That's a good Bible number. Raise your hand if I missed you. Say this after me for the sake, all together for the sake of those that are responding to Jesus. Everybody say, Dear Lord Jesus, I call upon you to save me. I'm tired of living my life for myself. I'd rather be miserable serving you than miserable serving myself. But I know I won't be miserable serving you. (laughs) I am saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Now, my friends, those of you that looked up at me, you have an obligation to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. So sometime before you leave this this meeting today, I want you to tell somebody that you... You responded to Jesus. You got saved today. You seven. That's your job. And then the person that they tell, your job is to encourage them to very soon get baptized. Okay? We have a prayer team up at the front ministering to people for healing, body, soul, or spirit. Holistic healing here at New Song. Body, soul, or spirit. Prayer team, come up. Those of you that are friends with, special friends with Cheryl or want to stay after and and meet and greet her will be in the multi-purpose room always remember everybody we love you jesus loves you go share his love with someone this week okay god bless you